Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Uh, I want to welcome you <coughs> excuse me, to our church. <clears throat> Thank you for your performance. It was uh, inspiring, brought tears to my eyes. Um, uh, it's wonderful the way God's creativity or people can experience God's creativity. Uh, we're in a series called Imagine Heaven, and today's topic is Love You. Uh, a little chung-in-cheek to the moon and back. <laughs> and uh, so it's a based on a book that a guy wrote a couple years ago, Pastor. And uh, after doing research on over a thousand near-death experiences and comparing that uh, with the Bible. So we've been looking at that. Uh, today is probably the topic that's m- probably of most interest to all of us as uh, we're going to talk about relationships in heaven. So let's pray. Oh, one other thing. We've got almost 140 kids already enrolled at Bible school. Um, I think our max we've ever had is 100, maybe 110 and so we're going to be 150, who knows? <laughs> so pray for us, pray for the facility, that we get everybody in here and the rooms and so forth and the teachers. Uh, so God's really chosen to uh, bless our Bible school. My wife was at the uh, local bookstore and she was telling how many kids we had and, and the people were surprised because most Bible schools don't have anywhere near that, that many kids. So we are blessed with kids. So pray, pray for us this week. So. Let's, pray. Let's bow together. Father God, thank you. It's such a joy to be here. I thank you for your creativity as expressed through your, through your body. We thank you for music. We thank you for uh, just the many ways you can communicate your love and your, your uh, <clears throat> sacrifice for us, how much you care about us, your, your grace and your mercy to us. Uh, <clears throat> we certainly appreciate the promise of heaven. We uh, appreciate this study as uh, uh, just fantastic to see the confirmation <clears throat> from these near-death experiences that, that confirm uh, which, what was written in your word 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> Guide this study time, let it honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if, I don't, <laughs> if, I can talk, if I can talk this morning. All right, so we start off with a question about what happens after you die. And we say everybody's going to die if the rapture doesn't happen, right? And you may not care about other people dying, but you're going to care about you dying. And everybody has opinions about that. Some people think nothing's going to happen. Some people think that everybody's going to go to heaven. Uh, most of us here probably believe something in between. Some people are going to make it. Some people aren't. The big question is, why do you believe what you believe? Is it from some movie you saw or something your grandparents told you? Or is it from some interpretation of the Bible? Or is it just... <clears throat> Just your opinion. And we say we think more about our vacation than we do about heaven, especially you, some of you young people. You think, ah, I got, you know, 90, 80, 70, 60, 70 years to live. I don't have to worry about diet. Um, maybe what you're going to do this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow than you do about eternity, which is kind of crazy. So we're kind of poking you to try and get you to think about this really important topic a little more <clears throat> seriously. And one of the arguments is this, I'd be more interested in heaven if someone came back from the dead and told me about it. Now, if you're a Jesus follower, we already know somebody did that, right? <laughs> and you folks just sang about it. Um, but if you're not, we have these thousands of near-death experiences, mostly in the last, uh, last um, generation or so. I think medical science has gotten pl- pl- place where to bring people back. So we have all these near-death experiences, all which are completely unique, yet share some common 
themes which we find also <laughs> described in the Bible. And we talked about that on the first week. So maybe, just maybe, the Bible is true and Jesus is who he said he was, right? <laughs> All right, so today's topic is relationships. And you may have a question like this. This is a question I've had over the years. I've heard before that I am no longer married once I get to heaven. I'm wondering if that's true. Now, maybe you're hoping it's not, hoping it's true. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Finally. Uh, but uh, most of us have really good marriages, and we're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm already over 40 years with my wife. You know, we might have 60, 70 years together. Um, basically, my life has been my, with my wife. You know, I get to heaven, it's going to be like, eh, you know, it doesn't matter. And we talked about heaven's just going to be kind of an amplification of what's here on earth. So how could it not include my wife? It's just kind of strange, kind of confusing. Am I even going to see her? See, see her? Am I going to remember that she was my wife? <clears throat> now, why would I ask that question? And if you've been in church for a while, you probably know the answer to that question, right? <clears throat> but the bottom line question is this. What about the people you love? Are we going to see them? Am I going to see my kids and my grandkids? I'm going to see my parents. Am I going to know who they are? Uh, it's kind of interesting, probably doesn't ha happen to any of you. The first funeral I remember attending was my dad's funeral. I was 18 years old. I was in my first year of college. It was in the middle of the wintertime. And uh, my dad died at age 45. Found him on the kitchen floor one, one morning. <clears throat> and so uh, this was my introduction to uh, death. And uh, I had some grandparents die when I was young, but I, I didn't really know them. And so fortunately, my dad got saved a few years before that, so it wasn't, you know, this sad thing in that respect. But am I going to see my dad when I get to heaven? And what about, you know, friends and other relatives, cousins? My wife's got a cousin in Louisiana that they don't see each other for a year. When they get together, it's like, you know, time hasn't passed. They just reconnect. Uh, is she going to see her in heaven? Well, the reason I bring up that question is because Jesus said something that makes us think that, right? And so we're going to look at these couple of verses um, out of Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus make, or teaches this teaching, if you will. So this is Matthew 22. We're going to start in verse 23. That same day, Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And you know some old church humor is, they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? Um, now, now, it's really fascinating if you understand. Now, these, these guys were Bible scholars, but they really tuned into the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, and you really can't find a resurrection in those five books. Or you don't think you can, or they didn't think you could. So they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they, they're trying to trick Jesus, so they pose this question to him. Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry his widow, have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Now, this is kind of strange to us, but in their culture, it was really important. Women were very vulnerable. They had no protection. Uh, also, carrying on a person's lineage, their name, was really important. So if they didn't have any kids, you know, if my brother didn't have any kids, I, I would feel sad that he didn't ha have uh, a son to carry on his name. So... Uh, Part of their law was, and we always think that, you know, it's gotta, you got to be in love with somebody, but that's kind of a new thing. <laughs> uh, marriage has been going on for thousands, thousands of years without, quote, unquote, having to fall in love. 
So this was part of the law for lots of different reasons. It was really important. It was a basic teaching, and it was part of their culture. Well, they, they proceed with the question. Well, suppose there were seven brothers, all right? The oldest one married and died without children. So the law says what? Uh, the next son, brother would marry the widow. So his, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. And this continued with all seven of them. I don't know. She must have been a black widow or something. I don't know. But <laughs> I think if I was the seventh guy, I would have been very hesitant. But anyway, last of all, the woman also died. So tell us. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? Now, why are they asking the question? They don't even believe in the resurrection. And they thought, ah, Jesus, we got you now. You can't answer this, and we've stumped you. And, of course, all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures. Now, this would have been a huge insult. They spent their whole life studying the Scriptures. So Jesus is really insulting them here. He says, you don't know the Scripture, and you don't know the power of God. You, you, you've limited God. You're, you're thinking too small. And so here goes. Here's the teaching. <clears throat> so when the dead rise, there is a resurrection. <laughs> so when the dead rise, not if they die, rise, they will, neither, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, we're not going to be angels when we get to heaven. And angels are completely different creations. But in this respect... <laughs> We're like the angels. Angels don't get married. We get to heaven. We're not going to be married. Now, it's not exactly true because Scripture teaches we're going to be married to who? We're going to be the bride of Jesus, right? But in the sense that we think about marriage, we're not going to be married. And again, but you know, my wife and I have been married over 40 years. Some of you have been married longer than that. And it's just going to be over when you get to heaven? It, is, it just doesn't seem right, right? I'm, I'm, I'm objecting. Maybe you would, would object too. So he goes on. But now, as whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, he just said there was, but anyway, haven't you ever read about this in the Scripture? And again, he's, he, he's insulting them, telling them, you don't know the Scripture. You haven't read it. Now, here's his argument. And you can find this in the first five books of the Bible. Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Not I was. If they were dead and ceased to exist, it would, he would have to say, I was their God, but they're not, they don't exist any longer. So if he's saying, I am their God now, which means what? That they still exist now. And this I am goes back to what we looked at in John, John speaking in, in Revelation, uh, that God is, I am, the Alpha and Omega, etc. So Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. You're, you're limiting your, your attention. You're, you're thinking about things, uh, small things, when you should, should be thinking about bigger things. So he goes on and says, so he, meaning is the God of the living, not the dead. So here's the question, again, around this topic. So God doesn't care about people? Well, he doesn't care about marriage. Uh, we get to heaven, we're going to be just like, they're not important anymore. <clears throat> now, I don't believe that. Uh, and, I, and I believe I'll know my wife, and I will remember our life together. We'll no longer be married in a sense that we have some connection that 
we don't have with other people. We'll all be brothers and sisters in Christ, and Jesus will be the most important thing to us. But I'll see my dad, and I'll see my mom, and I'll see my kids and my grandkids if they're Jesus followers. Now, so, what about this teaching? What is Jesus trying to teach us? Now, anytime you come across something in Scripture that's unclear, what you need to do is look at stuff that is clear to interpret what's unclear. And I always say it this way. When you don't understand something, think about the nature of God. Right? If you know what God is like, even though you might not know the details, you know ex- what's got to happen because God is who God is. So Jesus, in a couple of verses down, he says, okay, wait a minute. The, the, the Sadducees didn't trick him, so the Pharisees come and try and trick him. Okay, they did believe in the resurrection, by the way. And so they came to Jesus and they said, okay, we've got 600 and some laws. You know, they can't all be equally important. So t- tell us, <coughs> which one is the most important? Now, Jesus often didn't answer people's questions, but he answers this question, and, and he has this for us. So he replies in verse 37, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. You want to know what's most important? That's what's most important, okay? <laughs> but they said, what's the most important? He said, this is the first and greatest commandment, but I can't, I just can't whittle it down to one. I can only whittle it down to two, all right? 6.30, whatever, down to two, that satisfy you? Here it is. Not, there's two of them, and they're equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, you know, all out, 110%, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what is it, what, what's it about? Well, it's about relationships, but it's not just about uh, a vertical relationship with God. In fact, it's about horizontal relationship with God is equally important And we're going to look at another passage here in a minute that explains exactly what that means. And so he he says it. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Okay? You want to whittle the Bible down into (laughs) two things? That's it. And you and I can focus all the rest of our lives on those two things and and never complete that, right? So all these other things we may have questions about, confusions about, focus on these two things. Now, the thing I really like about this, we think about the Ten Commandments and says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. There's no don'ts in this, is it? It's all positive. This is stuff we can do, not don't do. And, and church takes a rap for being, you know, negative. And Jesus said, no, 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 we're not negative, we're positive. We're about loving God and loving other people. So this, through this series, we've been talking about this statement, what you believe about heaven changes the way you live on earth. All right? If you believe there's an eternity, you're going to live differently if you don't believe there's an eternity. If you believe that, you know, what we just said, that you should love God and love other people, you're going to live differently if you don't believe that you should love God and love other people. So I reword it this way. The depth of your love for God is demonstrated by how deeply you love people. Let me say that again. The depth of your love for God, and some of you might think, I really love God is demonstrated by how deeply you love people. Well, people, I don't care. So don't, you know, they're a mixed bag. I don't like them too much. Love God. All right. No, 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 no. You can't do it that way. Now, when we look at these near-death experiences, often they have what's called a life review. Now, that expression, your life flashes before your eyes. Well, it's kind of true. <clears throat> but it's different. And, you know, time is different. So, you know, they get, they're only dead for 15 minutes. And they come back and say, hey, I've saw my whole life review. Um, the interesting thing, though, it's different than if, you know, I was telling it or I was showing it. 
It's their life review seen through God's eyes or God's perspective. And so what we think is important, sometimes like our jobs and some of those other things, they, they weren't even mentioned in the life review. What do you think was important? Relationships. How we treated people. That was what was important. Our actions. And so consequently, the conclusion is that what we do here on earth matters. Not about how to get into eternity, but it matters in eternity. <clears throat> so, I'm going to show you two videos this morning, two interviews. People had near-death experiences. This first one is really fascinating. This guy's name's Howard Storm. Now, he was in his 30s. He was a college professor and hated God. He was an avowed atheist. And uh, in two weeks, we're going to hear what he has to say about his negative death experience. Um, but he's going to talk, in this, this segment, he's going to talk about his life review. And you're going to hear about what was really important. Let's, let's watch it. Howard, tell us about this life review that you had. There was a number of angels, I call them angels, who had been recording my entire life, all my life. And Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life. And the entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people. Of course, initially starting out with my mother and father and my sisters and then, you know, school and friends. And, um, so you just, you saw it or you We saw it, experienced we felt it. it, we experienced it. It was really interesting because it was, um, the whole emphasis was on people and not on things. Matter of fact, there were some instances where um, I had uh, won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped them. And Jesus, I said to Jesus, uh, you're skipping the most important thing in my life. This is what I live for to get this award. Kentucky Artist of the Year. Big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And uh, he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. That's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. So what I learned in my life review was that um, the um, relationship with my father, I had participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him, so I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and as cold-hearted towards him as possible, which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life that where I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out. Um, it was a two-way street. We were both the plain skin. As my life progressed from my adolescence into my adulthood, I saw myself turning completely away from God, church, all that, and becoming um, a person who decided that life was all about um, the biggest, baddest bear in the woods wins. And now I began to experience Jesus and the angels' literal pain. What do you mean? Emotional pain with watching scenes in my life. And like, here's the nicest, kindest, most loving being I've ever met, who I realize is my Lord, my Savior, even my Creator, holding me and supporting me, trying to um, give me more understanding of my life. And it was figuratively, not literally, like I was like stabbing him in the heart as we're watching this stuff. And the last thing I wanted to do was to hurt him. And I don't want to hurt him to this day. Uh, 
Jesus is a very feeling man. God is a very feeling creator. What were you seeing played out? I saw scenes where um, my sister was in bed crying, and I got up in the middle of the night and went in and put my arms around her and hugged her. And Jesus and the angels were so filled with joy that I had been willing to do that, to try and, um, you know, help her a little Comfort bit her. in her grief. But those were rare, the, uh, the scenes of my indifference. Just seeing, seeing people as objects in order to maneuver around through or, you know, to shift to further my, my goals and my ambitions. So, words and such, they don't really matter that much. But if we go and comfort a sister who is crying, that's really important. So the depth of your love for God is demonstrated by how deeply you love people. And again, yeah, 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 I love God, but people, they're such a mixed bag. Some of them, yeah, some others, not so much, right? It's interesting. Uh, years ago, <laughs> uh, the praise team, or a band made out of the praise team, was practicing in our garage. <clears throat> and it was in the evening, I think in the summertime, so it was still light out. And uh, you know, how bands do, they, they make a lot of noise. And so, policeman shows up in the driveway. Somebody had called saying we had disturbed, we're disturbing the peace, but when they found out what, we were, what, what they were doing, they were doing Christian music, of course, and so forth, they left. But I got to think about it this way, though. If that was Jesus, would he have called the police? What would he have done? He came over. Hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, let's jam together. Whatever you, I don't know what he would say. Because <clears throat> Jesus was all about what? People, right? It's all about people. So, we're going to look at one other passage of Scripture. This is what John wrote. John was the youngest disciple. lived to be old age. We looked at what he wrote in Revelation. So, he's in his older age, and he's writing some letters. And we always think the love chapter is what? 1 Corinthians 13. Well, there's another love chapter in the Bible. And it's 1 John chapter 4. And so, we're going to look at uh, what John has to say about, about what's important in life, uh, especially as he's looking back in his, his, his older, older age. So this is in uh, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to do most of verses 7 through 20. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Now love <clears throat> in our society is all about feelings, right? <clears throat> but, Love isn't about a feeling. Feelings can be involved, but love is what? It's about a choice, right? And it's about actions. That's what love is. Jesus died on the cross. Did he feel like dying on the cross? No. It was his love for us resulting in a choice to die and an action of actually following through and dying. He goes on. Anyone who loves is a child of God, knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, you're telling me everybody is a, is a Jesus follower then? Everybody's going to go to heaven? Everybody loves? No, 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 no. What he's saying is the fact that you and I can love or anybody can love, so if you, I've got some relatives that aren't believers, the fact that they may love their spouse or their kids is evidence that they're created in the image of God. All right? They're created by God. They have the capacity to love. It doesn't mean that they're all Obviously, Jesus followers. So when we love, we are reflecting that part of us that is godly. And again, the church gets a bad rep because we're accused of being judgmental and not, not loving, right? So it's really important. He's saying, okay, okay, it's really important 
that we love. And he goes on to explain this. He says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So we never can question God's love, right? He sacrificed his only son to suffer and die. He separated from God, his father, so that you and I could have eternal life. So no reason to question God's love. And he said, this is real love. There's a lot of what we might call uh, worldly love or unreal love. He said, but this is real love, sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So that's love. Everyone want to know what love is? That's love. So he goes on. Dear friends, again, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. We talk about this when we talk about forgiveness, right? So God has forgiven us so much, we should, <laughs> I should be forgiving anybody anything. It's small compared to all that God has forgiven me. So since God has loved me so much, I should love anybody and everybody. We shouldn't have any kind of uh, limitations uh, on that. <clears throat> and if you want to know if you're a follower of God, then this is the test, right? So if you aren't loving people, then you may need to go back and check out that relationship with God, or with or without God. So he goes on and says, no one's ever seen, never ever seen God. No one's seen God, right? And we say, oh, I love God. Well, it's easy to love somebody you don't see or something that you don't see, right? But if we love each other, God lives in us. So again, he gives God in us, gives us capacity to love the unloving, right? Just like God loves us. But if we love each other, God lives in us. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God has God living in them, and they live in God. So here's the delineation, right? Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord, and have you sacri- uh, committed your life to him? Have you, you know, a positive confession that I want to be a Jesus follower? There is a difference from people that haven't. All right? If you declare that Jesus is the Son of God, you have God living in you. And that's just beyond our comprehension, right? The God of the universe, creator of the universe, actually comes and dwells in us in some unexplainable way. Uh, He goes on. We know how much God loves us. We already talked about that, right? And we put our trust in his love. So we're all depending on that, right? And of course, God is trustworthy. And then we get to a verse, probably the first verse you learned in preschool. If you were in church in preschool, I wasn't, but some of you were. God is love. Not God is loving but God is love. God cannot be anything but love. And all who live in, uh, live in love live in God, and God lives in them. So he's just kind of fleshing this out. So he says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So I'm a more loving person, hopefully. That's my wife. I'm a more loving person now than 40 years ago. <laughs> hopefully so. <laughs> all right. That was a little... Uh, I'm holding my breath there for a second. <laughs> anyway... Uh, It should be true of all of us, right? I should be more loving this year than I was last year. It's not going to be perfect, more perfect, but not going to be perfect. So he goes on. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. I'm reason to be afraid. We're going to talk about that in two weeks also. There's two judgments, right? Judgment of those are Jesus followers. Of course, the judgment of the other folks. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. That's a good question. Do we live like Jesus here in this world? Uh, we're supposed to, uh, but hopefully we are. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible is this next verse. 
Such love has no fear. We fear all kinds of things, right? You know, my kids were young, they got their driver's license, you think, ah, oh. and we always just went to sleep. We trusted God. I don't know about some of you folks when your kids were that age, but uh, we just fear all kinds of things. You know, I, I'm getting close to retirement age, or I could retire now, I guess, but I haven't retired yet, and I'm thinking, I, 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 you know, we got to have enough money to live when we, when we retire? You know, there's all kinds of fears, and anytime I start to have fear in my heart, I go back to this verse. God loves me. I have nothing to be afraid of. And we're going to get into this in our next series, I think. But uh, it's like a small child. They don't fear anything, do they? Because your parents love them and they're just going to take care of them. We got the creator of the universe, the all-powerful one that loves us. So what do we have to fear? So he says, perfect love expels all fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. All right? If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment or some consequence, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So, oh God, okay, I'm not really comprehending how much you love me because if I did, I wouldn't be afraid, right? So again, it's a, a faith issue. I realize that when I start to fear. And then he goes back to his theme, but we love each other because he loved us first because God took the initiative, right? Thank, thankfully. So he took the initiative and he loved us first and then we are able to uh, respond to that love. In fact, God's love is almost irresistible. It's amazing to me how people can resist it, right? So if anyone says, I love God, now here's the downside, but hates his fellow believer, a liar. Pretty strong language, right? You say, oh, yeah, yeah, I love God, but so-and-so, not so much. I'm not saying God's saying, liar, liar. I don't like to hear that, do we? And he goes on. For if we don't love people, we can see. Remember, we can't see God. We, oh, it's easy to say I love him. But we, we can't love people. We can see. How can we love God? We cannot see. And then the next verse, I don't have it up there. We're commanded. No options to love one another. So what does this mean? The depth of your love for God is demonstrated by how deeply you love people. You can think of, you know, how much time you spend reading your Bible and praying and, and your quiet time or how much you come to church or whatever kind of ministry you might have. Sorry. I mean, they're all good things. They're important things. But that's not how you judge it. Your love for God is demonstrated by how deeply you love people. So here's the question. How are you treating the people that God loves? How are you treating them? Now again, when I get to heaven, am I going to see my mom? I know who she is. I think so. Uh, our first grandchild was miscarried. Well, that grandchild be in heaven? Will we get to see them? Will we know who they are? I think the answer is yes. If you're, some of you got in the book, Imagine Heaven, you're starting to read it. There's stories about children that have these near-death experiences. They meet some sibling they never knew they had. They were either miscarriaged or stillborn. And their parents are just kind of freaking out because they never told them. Uh, just more proof of how real these near-death experiences are. What age are we going to be? And, we, and in our small groups, we have all, the, all these questions, right? And it's interesting to think about and kind of contemplate and imagine. Um, but really, they're not the really most important questions, are they? And I put it this way on your outline. The questions you want to ask raise other questions you need to ask. 
Okay? Because all that stuff's really going to work itself out when we get there, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think we have to worry about it. So I'm going to show you another clip. This is by Pastor John Piper. He's the one that he died in, a, in an automobile, automobile accident on his way to a Bible study, by the way. And he spent over a year in rehab. He had all these broken bones and so forth. And he's going to share his perspective on this, this topic. These are real people, people you knew. Who'd you see, what they look like? Yeah, it started with my grandfather. Uh, he was standing there at the gate uh, facing me, and uh, he looked great. I mean, last time I saw him, he did not look great. Uh, he had a heart attack and died. I was with him when he had the heart attack. And um, it was just heartbreaking to, to, to be with him and watch him die, pass away, very close to him. I tell people all the time, I've, I've broken virtually every bone in my body, and, um, and, it, and it hurt, but nothing hurts like a broken heart. And when he died, it broke my heart. A lot of you have a broken heart. I've met a lot today who are struggling with that. met a lady just now, husband died three days ago. So a lot of you have broken hearts. Well, I understand what that feels, but now I'm at the gate, and here's my grandfather standing in front of me, and he looks really, really good. If you want to look really, really good, heaven is where you want to be. I mean, <laughs> you look nice now, but he, he was even missing, because of his life of very hard labor, he, he was missing three fingers on one hand and two on the other, and he reached out to me and spoke verbally, and he said, welcome home, Donnie. Those were his words to me. This, that's what he used to call me here on earth, Donnie. And I looked out at the hands that used to hold me when I was a little boy. And all of his fingers were there. I'd never seen them before. He was really kind of ageless. He was perfect, fully recognizable as, as himself, but in a beautiful and perfect kind of way. I, he obviously knew I was coming. Everybody did. Uh, you don't sneak up on heaven. Everybody up there knows it's coming. <laughs> Uh, Well, of course they do, because the Bible says when we give our heart to Jesus, when we trust Christ as Savior, our name is automatically inscribed on a registration book up there called the Book of Life, the actual Lamb's Book of Life. So you you want your name in this book, and we're we're taking reservations this morning, this afternoon. (laughs) Um, I'm serious. I mean, if you can get killed on, on the way to church to teach a Bible study, you can get killed at any moment. This is urgent. I was just 38. So here's Papa. My great-grandmother was beside him. She was a victim of osteoporosis. She was all slumped over in this life. I know it must have been painful. I never heard her complain about it. She wasn't missing fingers like Papa. She was missing teeth. She didn't have any teeth. Well, she had some, but they were what she called store-bought teeth. They were, <laughs> they were dentures. She did not like them. She did not wear them often, except to church on Sunday mornings. Um, my great-grandmother, Hattie, smiled at me. She was a good six inches taller at the gates of heaven because she was standing upright. And, of course, the most glorious thing happened when she saw me. She smiled at me, and it was the first time I ever saw her real smile. So everybody there was perfect. There's only one person in heaven with scars, and that's Jesus Christ to remind us of how we got there. But none of those other people, you, I mean, you should have seen me back on earth. I mean, I look like I fell in a farm implement from the neck down. I've had 34 major surgeries to put me back together. I was told I would never walk again. If they were able to reattach the leg, I was told that this arm would 
just hang by my side if they were able to put it back on, but this is the arm, and this is my leg. So I believe God is still in the miracle business, but in heaven, I had no scars on me. That was perfect. You won't either inside or out. Well, what was that like? What, what did you feel like in your body? What did it feel like? You said your grandfather ended up hugging you. What, did. what does that feel like? Uh, what was uh, unspeakable joy. Uh, there really aren't any words for it. One of the most frustrating things about talking about heaven is we don't have earthly words to do it justice. But it was a great reunion. Papa knew I was coming. He embraced me. What a warm embrace that was. I mean, the last, really, literally, the last time I saw him, he was in a coffin. And I was, we were all devastated. Now he's perfect and blissful and joyful. And, and all these people, aunts, uncles, uh, some friends from high school who had died in tragic accidents themselves were over here to the side of me. My next door neighbor, Miss Norris, was over here. There were teachers there of a wide variety of people, such a variety that I was thinking to myself when I saw them, they didn't even know each other back here on earth. What would have brought them together to meet me at the gate? And I know I had several years to lay in a hospital bed to think about it. They all helped me get there. These are the people who took me to church when I was a little boy and didn't have any other way to go because my parents didn't go to church. Somebody had to take me. Miss Norris took me. Your next Mike, one. Mike, my friend from high school that was killed when he was 18, he took me, mm. he took me to church because I didn't have a driver's license yet. But he'd been going since he was a little boy and he wanted to make sure I got to go too. They met me at the gates. These are people who gave me Bibles. These are people who told me, well, they lived a Christian life in front of me so I knew how that life was supposed to be lived. So they influenced me for Christ. So I'm laying there in the hospital bed when I finally got to the point where I could think. And I thought to myself, why did the, oh, these are the people who helped me get there. And then I asked the question that I've asked everybody since, who are you going to greet? Hmm. Who's going to be there because of you? All right. So the questions you want to ask, raise the questions you need to ask. I mean, it's great. We love being here on Sunday. But really what's more important is what you do the rest of the week. It's interesting. We're going to see Howard Storm talk about when he's being drawn into hell. He cries out Jesus and then, he, then he's rescued. Well, he had to know there was a Jesus he could call out to. So he had somebody tell him, tell him about Jesus somewhere in his life. And so you and I have no idea what lives we impact with just a word about Jesus. Even if the person seems to ignore us. So, better question. Who's going to be in heaven because of you? And we have no idea. Like I said, we, we, we may just say something to somebody and get, never see them again. But we have to say something to somebody, right? If they're going to be there in heaven. And let's end with our, what we started off with. If the depth of your love for God has shown how deeply you love others, how deeply would you say your love for God is? That's kind of your take-home assignment, homework. It's kind of a tough one, right? But it's an important one. The depth of your love for God is shown and how deeply you love others. How deep would you say your love for God is?